Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh, first things first is a happy New Year's. Uh, we ended up taking last week off between Christmas and New Year's, just uh, timing didn't work out to uh, record, and there wasn't uh, a ton of news to talk about if we're being completely honest. But uh, the, the past week, as the uh, roster freeze has uh been lifted and games have started been playing obviously um has led to some news and as well some non-nhl news that uh we wanted to get into and the the biggest one probably being the world juniors and its ongoing tournament as we are recording this uh sweden and the united states have punched their ticket to the gold medal game with finland and czechia being in the uh, bronze medal game which will be uh played tomorrow and probably um by the time you're hearing this already played um it's been a fun tournament. Uh, you know, I think it's one where I kind of looked and for obvious reasons, Russia is not there. Um, but I think on paper, not having Russia there definitely takes away from the overall parity of the tournament, if you will. Um, you know, obviously just taking a team that can win gold on any given year out of it is going to affect things. But um, I, I thought most of the games were were pretty entertaining. You know, there there's obviously the... Uh, there's been there was a couple blowouts in the round robin like there always are, but we saw a couple crazy upsets like Germany over Finland, even Finland being uh, Sweden. You know, maybe not necessarily the biggest upset on paper, but when you look at how good the teams are, definitely was. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent it was. Was there uh, anything you've taken away from the tournament in general? I mean, obviously we can get into team Canada's results, but uh, has there been anything that you've noticed, whether it's a player team or, or anything about the tournament? I've been big on Lenny Hayamaho in, in the tournament, but I mean, as a Canadian, I feel like we all have the same takeaway from the tournament. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, and I'll, I'll preface this by criticisms of the team. And even just how they played is in no way a personal attack on the players on the team. Um, anyone tweeting at players or even management for that and tagging them and stuff online and whatnot needs to get a life. You're a loser if you're doing that. It just flat out. But, 100%. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's pathetic that that happens every year. Players going private. Yeah, exactly. And like, again, every, like, I'm sure I know you had made a tweet about not actually seeing anyone. Um, tweet at the players and it was a good reminder of how big of a bubble Twitter can be because a couple people replied or in, in our group chat that we talk in said, man, I was on Facebook and you should have seen some of the comments on there, which again, just doesn't surprise me at all, but that that's not what we want to do here. And, you know, obviously not anything that people should be supporting. Um, when it comes to the actual roster though, uh, you know, something that maybe wasn't talked about as much coming in, and I'm sure it was discussed here and there, but something that became very, very, very clear to me very early on in this tournament is that Canada brought a team that was built to win close games. And I don't know if luck the game out is the right way, but that's kind of what it was. They left a lot of talent at home and decided to go with guys who quote unquote play the right way, you know, play physical. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that ended up costing them in this tournament. Yeah, 100%. It was very clear what they were trying to do, both both up front and on the blue line, actually. They were trying to go for the more physical style, which, I mean, 
you're calling your shot. You probably weren't going to have as talented of a roster as previous years anyways, but I mean, I, I still think there was some pretty unnecessary damage done to themselves by not bringing as much just pure shooting talent as they can. Like, I get there are different roles that need to be filled, but if you can't score, it doesn't matter how good how good you are at taking defensive zone faceoffs. At the end yeah. of the day, I mean, they left two guys off who are over two points per game in the WHL in Andrew Cristal and Riley Height, as well as Jager Furkus, who is at a mere one point eight four four points per game in the WHL with fifty nine and thirty two. Um, and you know, these guys were left off for names at the bottom of the lineup that you know, either didn't really produce in this tournament or even the ones that played okay just probably shouldn't have been there. Like, so I, I tweeted out and a lot of people seem to agree with me because it was one of my most popular tweets ever uh, that, you know, hopefully that this tournament and this outcome kind of makes Hockey Canada realize that they should just be taking the most talented players and, you know, not someone I, I named Nate Danielson specifically. And people took issue with that and said, are you stupid? He was one of their best players. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of why they were out in the quarterfinals. So if Nate Danielson was one of the things that, you know, you were super, super encouraged by in this tournament for team Canada, it's like, I don't know if he had more than four points. He didn't. He yeah. Had three I, points in five games. I didn't find him super impressive at all. And then like the best pushback is, is the Andrew crystal hype guys like Jordan Dumay and whatnot didn't score either. But of course, it's an anti-fragility thing, right? Like you need to give yourself as many options as you can in case guys like that aren't going. And yeah. if you make yourself susceptible to that, you don't really get to pull the, well, we did try to bring scores when you, when it falls on your face. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, uh, the biggest pushback I saw was, well, the depth guys did their job. They play, basically played to even. It's like, you, you're the best country in the world. You shouldn't be bringing six players whose goal is to not get scored on, but also not score while they're on the ice. Yeah. Dream bigger. You're the, you should be the best team in the tournament almost every year. I get, you know, the American team was probably better coming in this year, no matter what they did, but dream bigger. Your team Canada. Yeah, exactly. And like this idea that you need role players to play the checkings forwards and stuff. It's like, this is the one tournament of all hockey tournaments. You can absolutely get away without skilling your opponent. Not to mention, like, are you really telling me that if you had Fraser Minton as your 12th forward instead of your sixth, or seventh, that he couldn't go down and play a fourth line role in this tournament. I just find that hard to believe. Or, or even someone like Riley Height or whatever. If you bring him, like Zach Funk was actually, I think Funk qualified. He's twenty now, but I need to check his birthday. Uh, no, maybe he, maybe he wasn't eligible. But you know, like there's, there's a number of guys that they left off this team on both the forwards and the blue line, as, as you mentioned. That it's like. Are you really telling me that they couldn't have slid down the lineup or guys that were also on this team couldn't have slid down the lineup into a, a bit of a different role to make it, you know, effective? Like even Matthew Potras, like I was kind of underwhelmed with him at this tournament. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player by any means, but it's like this dude's been playing second and third line minutes in the NHL. I'm very confident that if he absolutely had to go down to the third line in for Team Canada, he could go play a shutdown to third line defensive role for this tournament. 100%. That's what real Team Canada used to do, right? Their fourth line would be like Getzlav and Perry. Yeah. 
skill adapts. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just. It goes back to a broader point that I feel like it doesn't get brought up enough. And this could relate to prospects or NHL players. Your favorite defensive player would score goals if he could. Mm -hmm. If you are good enough to do the thing that everyone would prefer to do, you can probably also figure out how to do the thing that is easier than that. Yeah. And I think, and and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case. Like I I want to pretend to have laid eyes on Cristal or Furcus or anyone, you know, actually watching the game this year, but the common misconception, especially in the NHL is, Oh, that guy has a lot of points. He must be bad defensively. Yeah. Like, that that's not necessarily true, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's especially less likely to be true in junior where the skill edges can be so much bigger that you don't have to make as much of a trade-off because you're, you're, I don't know, six times better than the average player instead of three. Yeah, exactly. So, and... You know, I saw a lot of people kind of saying, well, the difference this year was they didn't have the game breakers like they had Bedard last year. Um, And someone's like, why are you freaking out now? This would have been what happened last year if Bedard didn't save them in the quarterfinals. It's like, yeah, that's that's exactly the point of like, you shouldn't, again, you're Team Canada, you shouldn't need to get bailed out by one player who is a generational level prospect. And when you don't have those guys, it makes it so much more important that you bring the right roster. Yes, 100%. You can't get away with suboptimal lineups or lineups that can't score in a pickle when you don't have Connor Bedard's. He scored like 20 points last year or something stupid. Yeah, it was something like that. Like he had like, I want to say 10 in the quarter semis and finals alone. Yeah, he had 23 points and nobody else on the team was over 11. Um, four of them hit double digits. I'm pretty sure three of which were his line mates. He played with Stankoven, right? Yeah. Stankoven hit 11. Who else? Did he play with Gunther? Uh, that sounds right, but... Yeah, Gunther also hit double digits. So, yeah, it was it was that line. Yeah, and, you know, I was... I haven't been this underwhelmed by a Team Canada in general since, like, the Vertanen-led 2014 team, but... Um, the defense core is also one that I don't think probably has been discussed enough of. This was a very, very, very underwhelming decor uh, for Team Canada. Yeah, and I think the forwards actually took a little too much heat relative to the defenders in terms of bringing physical players without extreme offensive upside because I thought the decor kind of struggled to move the puck which absolutely. really shouldn't be the case when you have Team Canada to pick from. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, I, I thought Matejchuk looked pretty good throughout the tournament, which yep. shouldn't be expected. Yeah, you know? Yep. Um, and um, Ty Nelson as well. I thought he looked pretty well, pretty good. And he was, if I'm not mistaken, they brought him on the team at the very end of the, like, preseason of the tournament too, right? As an injury replacement. Yeah, he was because uh, Moldenick. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Nashville's first round pick got hurt. Yeah. So I, I thought he played all right, but he didn't get used near enough and they didn't use him on the power play, which is definitely his biggest strength. Um, yep. So, th- you know, that's another thing is this coaching staff, I thought did a very poor job with the team they had, um, you know, whether they helped choose that or not, but just 
Carson Rakoff was one of their better players, and I, I didn't think got enough ice time right away uh, when he was yep. showing that. Um, even I thought Matthew Woods' deployment was a little weird. So uh, it was just a really forgettable tournament overall. Um, I I hope that they take some lessons away from this. I don't really have that high of hopes for that because already the narrative is going around is, well, look, they outplayed Czechia for two periods and they just got unlucky. It's like, but they put themselves in the spot to be unlucky. Yeah, exactly. It's like I said, the anti-fragility thing. You can't take away a bunch of shooting talent and then be like, oh, the puck didn't go in the net. That's bad luck. It's like, well, it's one game sample. It is bad luck, but also there were steps you could have taken to mitigate said luck. Yep, absolutely. Um, The one spot I did not think I would be a little higher on people then, but I definitely am, is uh, Team Canada's goaltending this year. I I figured you were going to say that. They took, Rousseau took a lot of heat. And and don't get me wrong, the the two goals that he let in, the first two in that uh, elimination quarterfinal game were weak. You know, like you do need to have those. I, people were trying to make another summit about how Team Canada doesn't have a goalie. And again, I I absolutely understand that when it comes to um, the NHL and World Cup, you know, level stuff, that that is a genuine concern because, yeah, let's be honest, they they are outclassed by a lot of countries there right now. But like in this tournament, I thought Rousseau made a number of incredible stops, not only in the quarterfinals, like where, yes, he let in a couple goals. He had the cross crease in that quarterfinal that kept it at two, nothing and a a penalty shot save as well that people seem to just be completely passing over. But he also, I thought stood on his head in the Sweden game at times. And even in the Germany game where they looked Outplayed by Germany for times in that game. Yeah, but they look shaky there. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't think he was the issue. I don't think no. he saved them. But no, and like clearly in that quarterfinal game, like there was yeah the, the two that he wanted to have back, and then the third one was just pure bad luck. Like took like four deflections yeah. out of the way to the net. <laughs> it's like okay, well that you sucks. Can't, can't do anything with that. It just is what it is. Yeah, but like people were like. Yeah, they were never going to win anything with him. It's like, were we watching the same thing? Like, I did not think he was top four of their issues. Top five, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like I said, it all comes back to the fact that if you score two goals in a junior hockey game, you're probably not winning. Yep. It doesn't really matter who you have in that. And if you do win, you should be thankful, not mad that your goalie didn't only let in one goal. Yeah, especially because it could have been three or four goals in that first period alone. Like, yeah. so yeah, again, I hope some things change. I doubt they will because the biggest pushback, one of the bigger things I've seen pushback as well is, are we forgetting they won the last two gold medals? It's like, no. And, and no one's saying there needs to be a summit on development in this program. It's just questioning who they brought and making sure that process doesn't get repeated in terms of yeah. not bringing the most ideal lineup. Yeah, exactly. And also going back to it, like, I don't really think you could rest on your laurels of last year when Connor Bedard scores 23 points mm-hmm. and you win the gold medal. Like you could give my sister who does not watch hockey, the ability to pick the rest of the team, tell her to sort by points or NHLE or something. And she would pick a gold medal winning roster around 23 point Connor Bedard. That is not something to brag about. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And I, I think 
it's fair to say they were probably not going to be the favorites in this tournament anyways, because obviously USA looks really, really good and Sweden looks very solid as well. Um, but they should have been closer than what they were. Um, a bright spot for the tournament has to be Macklin Celebrini, who definitely had a, his coming out party for uh, for this draft and I, uh, you know, was easily Canada's best player throughout the entire tournament. Oh, 100%. He was the only player who looked dangerous with the puck on his stick consistently. Save maybe Matejchuk, but that's a little hard to do that when you're a defenseman anyways. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it's very, very, very likely he's going first overall anyways, but, um, you know, obviously when a player can perform well at this tournament, that's when 98% of the eyes are going to be on him anyways, um, because, again, people just aren't going to be watching CHL hockey on their weekends yeah. or whatever. And that is completely understandable. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm, I could I, miss I, the rest of the year and go first at this point. Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, especially, yeah, especially if it's just sitting out or whatever, like it's not something super long-term, but yeah, completely. Agree. Yeah. Um, I am excited to watch the, the States and Sweden in the gold medal game. I think that'll be an amazing game. Again, even coming into the tournament, they look like the two best teams. They had been the two best teams all tournament. Uh, this feels like a very fitting gold medal game. Um, and I'm I'm pumped to watch it. Yeah, a hundred percent. They they deserve to be the teams in the gold medal game. It should be fun. Yep, exactly. Um, the only other thing I really want to touch on quickly about this is I saw a couple of people when I tweet. And again, this is a bubble. There's probably literally two or three people who replied with this, but like pointing out that it's like, oh, just because Canada doesn't win, you think the tournament's stupid. It's like, no, the exact opposite. Like, the fact that Canada is losing to Czechia and, you know, probably would have got outplayed by Slovakia and, so, and like, even was competitive with Germany, that's a very, very, very good thing for this tournament yeah. and hockey in general. A hundred percent. That's huge. You know, like, when we were growing up, it there was a five-year period where it was a guarantee that Canada was winning the gold basically every year. And, you know, if they didn't, it was a meltdown. Like, silver was not acceptable. And at that point in the year, Germany was an automatic 10-0 win or more. If they didn't do that, again, there was people freaking out. Slovakia was an automatic 5-6-0 win, you know, where they, they won by five-plus goals. Czechia was a game that maybe they give you a bit of a game, but you need to beat them. And then it was Russia, USA, Sweden were the team, and sometimes Finland. Now... All of those teams that I just mentioned are teams that can win a gold every year. Czechia is a team that is developing, that can win a gold, it seems like, almost every year. And if not, definitely be a contender to medal and upset in any round. Slovakia is becoming a team that can upset you in any round. And, you know, they they have had a good chance at a medal this year and last year as well. Um, and even teams like Germany, you know, Latvia, uh, you know, those quote-unquote bottom feeders, yeah, they're, they're going to have a couple games where... They're going to get blown out, but on any given night, they can upset you. And that is an awesome thing for the tournament. Yeah, 100%. It makes it so much more interesting. And it's just, yeah, it's clearly good for hockey. Yep. And it should make teams like Sweden and Canada and the States think a little bit more about who they're bringing and bring the actual ideal roster to the tournament. Because if they don't, it's not a guarantee that they're going to win anymore. Yeah, you can't just walk to whatever you want, whatever metal round you want. Yeah. So um, I, pretty, pretty entertaining tournament so far, obviously uh, not how Canadian fans wanted it to end, but looking forward to a good uh, gold medal game tomorrow. Um, 
Before we move on, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region along with a review of each platform and the unique benefits. Uh, if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right. Um, let's stay in the international thing quick. This isn't... Uh, officially confirmed yet but i did want to bring it up um because i did see it tweeted out today that it sounds like the world cup of hockey is going to happen in 2025 with just four teams to start and kevin weeks is the one who was tweeting this uh it sounds like four teams will start in 2025 and i believe that is just finland sweden usa canada and then in 2028 it is expand it's going to be expanded with games played in europe usa and canada so more details come on that as well but it does seem like we're getting closer and closer to best on best hockey thank god mhm it's it's been criminal that we haven't gotten it for 12 years now i, I eight i guess when was the world cup of hockey 2016? 16, yeah. So, yeah, so six years. years? Yeah. Or yeah, eight years. Yeah, sorry. Eight years. Yeah. Eight years. Like that, that's brutal. Especially because the last two Olympics, I've been very, you know, we've talked about multiple times about how this would be some of the best we've seen in years because of how good the USA program is. And it would have been really interesting to see US, USA versus Sweden versus Canada, et cetera. Oh, that would have been so fun. Did you see Dom's article this week? Uh, was it selecting the teams? Yeah, and who he had favored. I didn't see who he had favored, no. He had the state's favored. Ooh. So that was one thing I wanted to bring up quickly because, you know, the, the biggest thing when we've done, and obviously because we've had no best on best in years, every year, you know, when this stuff kind of gets brought up, we, we kind of make our own teams for both, you know, the states and Canada and Sweden or whatever. And the biggest thing that I've noticed still while doing these is that for the last little while, it's still been the center depth and forward depth in general for Canada that has been the biggest difference point. That it's not, Canada still has the edge, but it clearly, and I'm assuming this is probably what Dom had as well, it's not such an edge anymore that it can overcome the insane goaltending gap that there is with the United States to Canada. Yeah. Well, that's the, problem you don't need you need to be blowing them out of the water i think to make up for the fact that one team gets to bring three elite goalies and one team gets to bring three one one b goalies yeah a hundred percent like um yeah I'm, I'm just taking a look at it now and it's 51 49 so it's very very close um but this has got to be the first time i would assume the states actually yeah right in his article this has been the first time in a long time that the states have been favored. 2016 World Cup, they're 40%. 2018 Olympics with a projected roster was 44. 2022 Olympics would have been about 51, and this is 51.9, just based off projected best rosters is what I'm guessing here. Yeah, I think they had the experts. experts they had a bunch of people, egg. yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, generally best roster, I'm sure there will be. You know, I'm sure Seth Jones shows up for the States, and I'm sure we bring someone else that I'm just not thinking of immediately that's probably not smart either, but yeah. 
Yeah, uh, on this roster, they have Morrissey, Petrangelo, and Doughty. Feels like Doughty one of those guys one. at least don't need to be there. Maybe two. Yeah. Doughty, I feel like, is basically a snap dog to be there. Yeah. Like, I would... playing right now. I would take Ekblad over Petrangelo or Doughty at this point, though. I think so, too. But, um... Regardless, uh, the the biggest difference comes in net. You know, Aiden Hill is the projected starter for Canada, who has a plus six net rating, and uh, Connor Hellebuck is the perse- projected starter for the Team USA at plus thirteen. Um, that is literally the entire difference, and then some for the teams because the decors are very very solid um, in terms of matching up against each other. You know, the the states of Fox, Hughes, McAvoy. Obviously, and then Luke Hughes, Slavin, and uh, Brock Faber, they actually put on this lineup, which is interesting, but I love. Uh, he is having an That's amazing fun. season. Uh, and I could see it by 2025, for sure. 100%. Um, but then, you know, obviously, Canada's still got Devontae's, Kale McCarr, Shea Theodore. Um, again, I Ekblad's not on this lot roster, but Ekblad. Like, there, there's lots of options both ways. Um, yeah, the, the biggest question to me just becomes... How quickly does someone like Connor Bedard develop? Because if he becomes a legit like top 10 center again, McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby, Bedard down the middle, one of them probably moves to the wing because Braden points down the middle as well. You know, Sam Reinhart's on this roster. Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes is the best one too. They've had to, to kind of counter Canada's depth in a long time. But again, then it goes to like, I mean, Eichel, Eichel's the third, Never mind that that's unreal. And then Dylan Larkin, like, how quick does Dylan Larkin versus Connor Bedard become a mismatch? I don't know. Pretty quick. I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm fairly confident in that. Yeah. I, I feel safe in agreeing with that. But uh, um, regardless, I, I just think, you know, I, I really hope they do follow through with this. Um, it's a little bit of a shame that the initial one is just going to be four teams. Uh, to me, takes a little luster off of uh, an international thing, you know, like I, it, it'll be nice to see best on best at the same time. Part of the nice thing about best on best is getting the upsets when, you know, a Slovakian team can upset Sweden or something like that. Um, but this is a start at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's obviously a lot more fun with, uh, with everyone, but I'd rather see a bastardized version of it than not see it at all. Completely agree. Um, so that's all I really had on the world cup of hockey. I just kind of wanted to mention that it does sound like it is going to be a thing, which is cool. Um, and another thing I don't have a ton to talk about, but I wanted to touch quickly because we haven't really talked about it a ton on the podcast. The PWHL is here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been going amazing. I know all the games in Toronto have been sold out. Um, yep. Max or Max on, uh, on Twitter, who I've been, done a lot of work with was at the the Montreal game. He said it was just absolutely amazing. Like I've heard nothing but great things about it, which has been super cool. The Montreal at Ottawa game, which was the second game of the year, looked like an absolute blast of a time. Did you watch it? I watched the first period and a half before I had to go to soccer. Um but nice. it the building was just rocking. Um like so so loud every you know like every power play just boos or cheers you know 
the the first goal that went in in the building actually got called back because it turned it went through the net instead the net got lifted and went through the side of it um which was kind of funny but then they scored shortly after which was uh good to see but yeah like it, it looked amazing um all of ottawa's games i think for the first four or five home games are sold out i think i heard uh and yeah toronto's is the same like the toronto one looked really good as well um they lost four nothing to new york uh, and Montreal beat Ottawa and then Minnesota beat Boston. I didn't get to see any of that game, but yeah, like it's been an overwhelming success early on. And I really hope that that continues uh, as we go forward here. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's going to be awesome. Allie and I are looking at grabbing Toronto tickets at some point. I'm pretty excited to go see it live. Yep. I, I was looking at that as well. And, uh, also, you know, I want to get down to Ottawa at some point, uh, in the next little bit. And I'm hoping that I can catch both a sense game and a PWHL game. That'd be a nice one too. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's been amazing yeah. to see. And hopefully it just keeps going. The, the YouTube viewership and stuff has been amazing too. Yeah. I thought I saw they had like 164,000 streams on their one game. Yeah. There were over 150K on like every game that I saw, which is amazing. And I think something that probably didn't get talked about enough with the other leagues because people always try to argue it's a chicken or the egg thing, but. This has been the most backing I've seen national media give any women's league for hockey. This is a huge story. Yeah, 100%. You didn't really see, like, I don't want to say you didn't see any, because, of course, there are tons of people who covered it. But, like, you did, definitely didn't see it close to this degree at scale before. No, if you wanted to watch former women's leagues, you had to go on Twitch and watch, like, a single camera zoom back and forth. TSN had this on their main channel nationally for both yep. the Toronto and the Ottawa Montreal game, which is amazing. And it's, I'm pretty sure every game is picked up by one of Sportsnet or TSN in Canada. Yeah. And it was like unavoidable, basically. Like we're in a bit of a, a bubble where we're going to see more of it than, than pretty much anyone else on Twitter and whatnot. But yeah, like you could see it on a broader scale because of the networks and whatnot. And that's been awesome. Yep, my absolutely. parents were aware of the games, which yep. they usually are not. Yep, both mine watched uh, the first two. Like it, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome to see. And um, here's the hoping that the league can just continue to grow and and this becomes a legit league that can expand and, and give women in hockey a legit career path. You know, after college and all that. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah, I don't have too much more on that other than, uh, it's been some pretty good games too. Like the Ottawa Montreal one, what I got to watch was, uh, really, really exciting. And the only other thing I'm going to give them a massive shout out for, they're doing a three, two, one, zero point system. Yes, they are. They've been experimenting with a bunch of stuff, which has been awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm glad to see they don't think their fans are too dumb to, uh, understand how that works. Unlike the <laughs> NHL. Yeah. Yeah. It's been very nice to see. So, um, all right, let's get on to some NHL news. And both of our teams actually had some news uh, break this week. Um, I don't know where you want to start. Let, let's start with Ottawa because I think there's less to talk about with them, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I just need to pull up the actual title. But uh, they announced um, some front office moves this week. Uh, so Steve Steos, unsurprisingly, has named himself permanent general manager of the team, which uh, was the least surprising thing I think I've, I've seen in a long time that uh, that felt like it was going to be a, a pretty big uh, 
pretty big given uh, when when the hiring was announced. You know, it was always possible that they brought in you know someone like Jason Spezza was rumored or or whatever as a, an understudy, but uh, he becomes the official general manager, so his title really doesn't change except for temporary. Um, and then the big news of the day is that they bring in Dave Poulin to be their senior vice president of hockey operations. So um, Steos is president of hockey operations, and then Poulin is VP of hockey operations. And they also uh, moved um, Rick Bonus, uh, or sorry, not Rick, Ryan Bonus. Rick is his brother who was the AHL coach. Ryan Bonus uh, as team's AGM, associate general manager, not assistant. So that that's basically not a role change either. I think it's just a title slash pay change. Um, big news here, obviously, is Dave Poulin. I'm going to be honest. I don't have super strong feelings about this. Positive or negative. That surprises me. I figured I, you'd be fairly unhappy. I have way more faith in everything that this front office has done since they have entered buying the team and taking over that I saw a lot of people going, doing the, the obvious. And like, I, I probably would have rather see them hire someone different. This does feel like a classic 200 hockey man kind of hire. Um, but I saw a lot of people going like, oh yeah, because it works so well with Pierre Maguire. It's like, okay, regardless of what you think of Dave Poulin, he is not Pierre Maguire. Yeah, there's a gap there. A, an, enough of a gap for sure. Yeah. And the second part of that is when they brought in Pierre Maguire, he was a quote unquote advisor, which was basically just a yes man for Melnick who, when he wanted to do something, Melnick would make Dorian do it by the, by the sounds of it. I would be so shocked if that's what this is. That I think yes. it's just another another name where you know obviously it's hard to tell without being in the room or whatever. Um, but I I would just be surprised if you know they go make four signings and then it comes out that Dave Poulin was the one that demanded that they have them or whatever. Yes, I agree with that. And it's it's tough too to evaluate. Like Pierre Maguire's was going to. I will say somewhat obviously be a bad hire, but it's fairly difficult to know what front office hires are really going to end up doing. So I feel like erring on the side of just caution is not a bad idea in general too. Yeah. And like, I'm not like thrilled about it because it's been very documented that his time in Toronto even if it wasn't him specifically, but that front office that he was a part of was a disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't, and even his time in the media, like, again, he wasn't the worst person out there by any stretch of the imagination, but I disagreed with enough of what he said um, that yeah. I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, this is a, an insanely brilliant hire or anything like that. I just... To me, I don't feel too strongly one way or the other. Um, you know, obviously it's gonna have to see how things kind of kind of play out with the roster moves and kind of decisions they have to make after they just got drummed by Vancouver again uh last night or two nights ago, I guess now. They were down five nothing by the end of the first. Um but yeah, like I, I just I I think if you are a fan that says this is either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. You're probably reading into it one way or the other too much. Yes. Be cautiously skeptical, but don't just write it off fully. Exactly. And again, the reason that I'm more okay with this move 
than I would have been with the previous regime making this move is that while they are bringing him, him in, they have brought in a lot of people who think differently from Dave Poulin. You know, like they have expanded their analytics department by like, I want to say it's like double or triple the size, which isn't that impressive because they had two people in it originally, <laughs> but like they've hired four or five analytically thinking people. Is, is it Sean Tierney running it? Yep. Yep. They hired Sean Tierney. And I yeah, think there's cool. been some other, you know, more minor ones as well. But um, so like to me, it's not just bringing in more hockey men to think the same way. It is, there is diversity in that front office and on the team, which is not something that I could have said for ever really with the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction, if nothing else. Exactly. So yeah, I don't really, it'll be interesting to see what they do because they are in a very interesting spot of they keep, the key word with this team keeps being consistency. Well, they're consistently shit. It's as simple as that. They're they're not a good team, man. Like they're they're 14, 19, and 0. Every time they look like they're gonna do something positive, they lose two in a row in a humiliating fashion. They're three, seven, and oh in their last 10. Uh, like I think they're under 500 under Jacques Martin. Like it's just this team is not good and it's annoying. We, we've talked about it in length. I don't really have the answer of how they fix it. Um, but like they cannot be convincing themselves that they should be trying to either even remotely compete for playoffs again. Like this is already a lost year, unfortunately. Yep. Oh yeah. The year's a hundred percent written off and yeah, it's, it's worse that there isn't necessarily an obvious way out of it. Yeah. I mean, the obvious way out is that you have to hope the previous coaching staff and the style of play affected your course development, not, not development, but the way they're playing can be changed so that they become the players that you're hoping they turn into. Um, because I, I'll be honest, like a lot of it is defensively that it, it is just brutal watching them play. They, they have so much offensive talent and they show that every, even the nights they lose, like they got killed by Vancouver. They still scored three goals in that game. And had a bunch of decent chances. But it's defensively that the forwards just do not help the team out at all. That I think if you're hoping for a giant improvement, it's got to come from your defensive structure and who you're using. And that includes the top forwards. And they also need to save. Both their goalies are like 880 goaltenders right now and have stunk. Yeah. Yeah, they they could use a save more so than almost anyone in the entire league. Yeah, like they're bottom five in team save percentage. They have to be. Like their their goalies are brutal. And again, the unfortunate thing is that's not an unpredictable outcome heading into this year. You know, Forsberg was kind of an underrated goalie coming off two MCL surgeries, one on each knee. I could have told you that probably wasn't going to work out well. Yeah, it's a tough bet to hinge your season on. And then they go, well, we're not hinging our season on. We're bottom Jonas Corposalo, who's played four months of good hockey ever in the NHL. It's like, well, again, yeah. I hate to tell you, but if you, you know, obviously the the LA and, and even a start in Columbus last year was encouraging, but if you take a look at even the last three years, that was the only time he's played good hockey. He's been a mediocre to bad goalie for the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a pattern. You kind of, it's tough to know goalies, but it's at some point you are what you are. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, they, they have some decisions to make that at this deadline. Um, 
Tarasenko, I'd imagine there's no way he's sticking around past the deadline. Like I would have to imagine when he signed, there was a bit of a wink, wink, handshake kind of agreement where it's like, okay, if you guys aren't in the kind of like what Patrick Kane has with the Red Wings, where it's like, okay, if you guys aren't in a playoff spot come the deadline, that's when he moved me to a team that can contend. Um, not that I don't even think Tarasenko is going to fetch a giant return. He's been, again, kind of who you probably recently should have expected him to be. Like he's not playing horribly by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not playing, he's not a lead anymore. He's just not an elite player. He's a guy who can yep. play power play two, probably score, I don't know, 20, 25 goals, but is not going to bring a ton more to the team than that. Yep. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here, but uh, definitely just something I wanted to mention. And like, again, Tarasenko is 24 points in 31 games. Like he's been doing what you could reasonably you expect. Want. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure his defensive numbers aren't great, but yeah, you sign a guy like that to score 24 points in 31 games, not to have a good RAPMXGA estimate. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the other big piece of news uh, from this week is that the Toronto Maple Leafs did something that they really were trying to avoid, but absolutely had to do. And that is that Ilya Samsonov has been waived and made it through waivers because shockingly, no one picked up that contract. Um this is this is absurd like he has become the most unplayable goalie i've seen in a very very long time even worse than like matt murray was last year or jack campbell was the year before that he's been the worst player in the league by a significant margin yeah like unless i'm missing someone but i think it is I would assume so just off the top of my head. I know Eric Comrie's really been struggling, struggling in Buffalo as well, but uh, like, yeah, Samson played 15 games, averaged four goals against an 862 save percentage. I'm pretty sure I saw his goals saved above expected were negative 16. Yeah. It's negative one a game. Like you just, you're never going to win with that in general. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's weird because it is a little strange that it keeps happening this aggressively to Toronto every year. Um, I think it it's predictable in terms of Jack Campbell, um, Matt Murray, and Ilya Samsonov are all guys. And Matt Murray, I wouldn't even really qualify in terms of playing well, but are guys where it's like, yeah, they had an up year last year. It seems unlikely they're going to repeat that. But if you even get 70% of that, that's great. And they've just fallen off a cliff. Um, and, you know, Jack Campbell wasn't this bad either. Like, I don't think the, the Leafs had to waive Jack Campbell or anything. But, you know, by by his last year in Toronto there, it, it wasn't great. Yeah, it's weird because you could go the other way with both of them, too, where, like, Campbell was also better for times than they had any business getting out of him. But, yeah. Same with Samsonov, yep. Like, 919 yeah. from in 42 games from Samsonov last year. Yep, and I think Campbell's combined run with Toronto was probably around there. Yep. That, that sounds right. And, and that's why it's like, I don't think it's like a, a team issue. I think it's more just, you know, bad luck and good luck at times. And, and the inflated save percentage, I'd be more willing to, you know, put on, they had really good defensive results for two or three years there. Um, this year they've yeah. been more mediocre, but they haven't been like outrageously bad. Yeah, they haven't been as good. If anything, I think it was team issue in the other direction where they were propping up guys who clearly aren't actually that good. Yeah, and then, you know, you want to talk about luck. I mean, Samsonov is clearly just in a bad headspace right now. Like, I 
you know, this isn't skill just falling off a cliff or anything like this. This very obviously seems to be mental more than yeah. anything else. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. But again, you want to talk about uh, you want to p- talk about having some good luck. Martin Jones coming in and saving the season essentially for them with the way he's played has been extremely impressive. Yeah, it's been out of nowhere, eh? <laughs> like he was, and when when they signed him, I you know people were laughing or whatever. It's like, well, if he's going to be your third goalie, that you feel pretty good about getting through waivers. It makes enough sense to me. But like, yeah, he's now played ten games, has eight goals saved above expected. Um, you know, is seventeenth in the league for all goalies. Uh, he, he hasn't been like stealing games or anything, but he's done exactly what this team needed to do. And has been just the kind of guy that we said, if Samsonov could be or wool, obviously before he went down, this team would be very good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The same idea. You don't need amazing. You just need not actively terrible. Yeah. So they obviously will need wool to get back from his injury quickly because, you know, Martin Jones just played a back-to-back in, in LA and Anaheim. Uh, and, you know, that, again, like that kind of usage does not seem sustainable for anyone, let alone Martin Jones, who has played a lot of games in his uh, NHL career and, you know, hasn't been great for a lot of them recently. Um, but I keep people hear, hearing people go, well, it's obvious they're going to go get a goalie. And I kind of thought it was like, okay, who? Yeah, apparently the asking price is huge on Jake Allen mm-hmm. that I and, had uh, I'd seen today. So at that point, you're probably just getting no one if that's what the market's at. Yeah, and the reason, and people, if people are wondering why the market's so aggressive, it's because there's four contenders that legitimately need goalie help. Carolina, New Jersey, Toronto, and Edmonton all desperately yep. need some goalie help. Yep, so why would you bail any of them out? They, yeah, they it, needed a hell of a lot more than you need to dump Jake Allen. Exactly, right? And like, yeah, like that the Habs absolutely do not need to do that unless their their price is met how they want it to be. Um so and, and then yeah, like after that, it's like I think the the uh, predators should sell UC Soros, but I would be absolutely floored if that actually happened. Um and then you look into guys, it's like the list of rentals gets really, really small. Like I'm just going through the list here of goalies that might be available and sorting by goal save above expected. One name that I think would be interesting, but would cost a ton is Jacob Markstrom. He's leading the league. Markstrom would be interesting. He's leading the league. goal save above expected again. Is he? Yes. Yeah. I think he's got two more years after this on his contract. Um, but it seems pretty obvious that Calgary is willing to kind of take a step back and enter a, a retool, if you will. Um, so two years at $6 million, if you can get Calgary to even retain $2 million, like it, it, let alone three, like Jacob Markstrom at three to $4 million at age 33 to 35, isn't the worst bet in the world. No, I think that's a very good bet, to be honest. So maybe that's a name, but again, like for a team like Toronto, I don't know if they have the assets to do that, if they have the cap that they really want to go do that. Um, I think it'll be the cap, but I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head. Yeah, and I think it was uh, an interesting point by a friend of the podcast, Totally Offside, that pointed out. He kind of wonders if the Leafs try to look for a guy 
he had said with one year of term, but Markstrom, I think, would apply similar with two, where instead of getting them to retain, they send Samsonov's contract back. So it's like retaining, but it's just this year. Hmm. If that makes sense. That's a good idea, actually, if you could do it. Yeah, because obviously it's not how the books actually work. But if you're looking purely money in, money out, that would mean Markstrom would cost $2 million this year because Samsung makes four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, th- and yeah, close to that, whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, and, and then the you have to figure out, obviously, how you work his $6 million in for the next two years. But then Calgary, they take, obviously, an asset that probably isn't going to do anything for them back in, in Samsung for $4 million, but they don't have to retain for at all. They can retain on someone else, and they don't need to be retaining for the next two years. Yeah, I mean... You're Calgary, I think that would actually work quite well. Just getting Markstrom off the books is probably pretty valuable. And then if you're Toronto, you have Muzzin, Murray, Klingberg all up next year. That could work pretty well. Yeah, like that that was one that, you know, jumped out to me. But again, like I, I don't if you told me who's more likely to trade for Markstrom, Toronto or New Jersey, I'd be like, I I could see New Jersey swooping in. They have more assets to do it. Um, you know, yeah. if they get them retained. cap space. Yeah they, yeah, they have some cap space as well. And I don't think they have too many giant extensions. Like, they got a lot of their core locked up. So, um, but yeah, like, outside of Markstrom, I'm just reading goalies that right away pop off the page as guys that, you know, teams probably shouldn't be keeping long-term. But we can debate if they will keep them long-term. Um, I'm not going to throw Cam Talbot in there. Obviously, on one year deal, but LA is actually a contender. I would never trade him. Um, yep. John Gibson is fifth in the league, sixth in the league right now in goal saved above expected. I don't know if anyone's again going to want to touch that contract. I doubt it. I would. That do- it doesn't seem like a deadline move either, for sure. Right? Yeah. Um, Charlie Lindgren with Washington is eighth in goal saved above expected. A, not sure that's really who you want to come in to bring your se- save your season. And B, I feel pretty confident saying that Washington still thinks that they're a, a borderline playoff team. And if them being the eighth team in the East gets them in for two home gates, that's more enough, more than enough for them. Yeah, yeah, they're, you're probably not going to punt that. Yep. So not an option. The next like six guys are all on teams that are competing for the playoffs or Elias Sorokin, who obviously is not being traded. Um, Joey Decord in Seattle is 16th in goal save above expected with eight. Again, not sure that's who you're really wanting to rest your your season on, especially because Martin Jones is right behind him. So are you really upgrading at this point? Yeah, I mean, who knows at that point? You're kind of just moving bodies. Yeah, so... Names outside of that, like Elvis Merzlerkins, if you if you like him, like he's 20th this this year. And then it's Jake Allen at 25. Like, yeah. And then I, like I there's just there's really not that many other names out, out there. No, and that's made worse by what we just said too, where more people need them than are giving them away. So it's a pretty tough spot to be in. Yeah, exactly. So, which is why I honestly do think that the smartest thing for Toronto, and it, there's obviously going to be risk in it, but you kind of have to hope, give Wool as much time as he needs because it, it does look like the one thing Toronto's been doing well is they are keeping their head above water here. Like they're, they're playing 500 yep. hockey, but the rest of the division isn't playing real, real well either. And they're still well into a playoff spot. 
yeah, I think they'll be fine for the short run. Agreed. Like, so give Wool the time you need. You know, ride it out with Martin Jones and um, who who did they just bring up? The Swedish guy. Uh, He'll be. He'll be. Yeah. Like play him, I guess, if you need. Once Wool gets back, like you're probably going to have to put your eggs in the Wool basket and then get a couple more defensemen or a couple more forwards that help your team out in terms of just playing better overall. So you don't need to ask as much from your goalies. Yeah. To to me, that's smarter than going and spending a first round pick plus on like Jacob Markstrom or something at this point. Yeah, it's so much more predictable to try and make the team better in front of them. Mm-hmm. And well, and because that's the other thing, it's like Marshall has been playing unreal this year. And like, obviously, I think it would be for any team that needs goaltending help, he would help the team out. But it's like, I'm not that confident that Markstrom for the entire year is going to be better than Wool or anything like that. And like that, that might sound like an outrageous statement, but I mean, Markstrom's been garbage for two years in a row. Yeah, I, you have to be at least uncertain when making that judgment. Yeah, like if it's a 70% chance he's better, you have to weigh, or 65, let's say, you have to weigh that with how much better is he going to be? And does it make sense to go upgrade there where if we can get a number three defenseman that is 80% better than Jake McCabe or whoever's the number third defenseman right now, is that more worth it? Yeah, yeah, and you have to weigh that. I'd go, I'd go the defense 100%. Yeah, so, um, and then, you know, I, I guess the other option that we haven't really talked about is Samsonov maybe does find his game and bounce back, but that, that seems so unlikely to me. I'm just trying to think. When was the last time we saw a guy get wave this, like, sent down because he's been this aggressively bad and come back in the same year and be good? Yeah, it's possible. That's a pretty tough bet. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to I think of ever seen a case like that. that. Getting waived is such a death wish, basically. I I really can't name anyone who has. I'm sure there's been a couple because goalies are weird, but the fact that we care about hockey more than almost everyone on earth and can't immediately think of one suggests the base rate's probably pretty damn low. Yeah, and it's it's not even just waived, like go down and play some games with the Marlies. It's waived, and he's not even playing with the Marlies. Yeah, that's a get your head right wave yeah so it's a possibility he comes back but i really do think that the most um likely outcome i guess is how i'll put it is that wool comes back and wool and jones become a tandem based on who gets hot over the year yeah i agree so which i mean at the end of the day like yeah it's not ideal in terms of the the money you're paying samson off but if you just switch Samsonov for Jones and Jones plays like you were hoping Samsonov played, whether that's, you know, a nine Oh eight goalie or whatever, like it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But you need Jones to be the one B instead of the one a slash a, like just legitimate one that he, <laughs> he is having to be right now. Yeah. Being the a is tough. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how how things develop, but uh, I mean, it, it just it got to the point where Samsonov could not be played. Like the game he played against Buffalo was some of the worst goaltending I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he's he's cooked. So, all right. Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on uh, before we get out of here, Chase? 
I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, again, happy holidays. Hope everyone enjoyed their their time off. And uh, thanks for a great 2023. And we look forward to 2024. So as always, you can find uh, me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. And all his work at EliteProspects.com. And my own work at LastWordOnHockey.com. Uh, and follow the podcast on Twitter at Pod. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week.